in that grace, the, the cross, that we are welcomed into the presence of an almighty and just God, where we see mercy has triumphed over ju- judgment, Lord. We thank you for your love that reaches out to us. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather in this place again and to proclaim your goodness together. To come together corporately, Lord, not just to speak our words, but to hear from your word, God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall on this place, fall on our hearts. Help us to hear what you would have us hear in this day. We thank you, we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, guys. We are in James chapter 3 today, if you want to grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You're welcome to take it. You may need a magnifying glass, but you, uh, you're welcome to take it. The print in those is a little, little small. So, God is good. We've been going through the book of James kind of at a slower pace. Normally we would take somewhere around a chapter uh, a week and um, really started at the book of Romans. As we finished the book of Romans, we really slowed things down. And then throughout the book of James, because of the practicality of the book, I feel it's necessary just to, to break it up a little more than by chapter and, uh, and so we're, we're working this summer through the book of James, and uh, I trust for those that are in Christ, it's been a, a valuable tool. I hope that it has, and by the Word of God, we want to um, mold and shape our lives. Uh, we learned in chapter 1 that how we're supposed to, as Christians, that's what the book of James is, is how to live our lives. Now that we call ourselves Christians, how does our life line up with what Um, you know, the Word of God says. And so chapter one, we looked at how do we as Christians handle the area of trials in our life. Everybody has difficulty. Everybody has hardship. Be a Christian or non-Christian, the question is how do we as followers of Jesus Christ handle those difficult things? Chapter two, if we were to sum it up, and there was a lot in chapter two, but if we were to sum it up, it really would be kind of last week's message to say, how do we as Christians handle life how do we handle the, the balance between our faith and the things that we do? What's, what's that, that proper placement of both our faith and our works and how important it is that we have both, not critical to our salvation, but critical to the Christian life. And then this week, as we take the first half of chapter three, we're going to learn how we as Christians are to talk. How we as Christians are to handle our speech, the things that we should say, the things that maybe we shouldn't say, when we should speak it and when we shouldn't. It'll be a challenging time, I think, for some of you. <laughs> Let's read our text for today. We're uh, James chapter three, verse one. 
down to verse 12. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may, be, they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it, it's, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig, my brethren, bear olives? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. So now we dive in on how we as Christ's followers are to speak. And he begins with the words, my brethren, and that's how I want to begin today as well. I want to talk to you guys like my family, because you are. This is who God has put us together Together in this place, Calvary Chapel, Columbus, on the corner of Bryce and Livingston. Some of you I've known for 17, 18 years. And God has knit our hearts together to do a good work in this place. And I want to talk to you like I'm your brother. Like we're brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what we are and we're family. And I, I want us to see what God is trying to speak to us today, not just what God is trying to speak to Christians, but what God is trying to speak to Calvary Chapel Columbus, to you and I. I think there's a strong message that God is trying to get us to hear. It, 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 the reason I think that is this theme keeps popping up. Look at the things that we've covered recently. Back in James chapter 1, verse 19, just a few weeks ago, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. This Wednesday night, teaching the book of Ecclesiastes, we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm not teaching on a subject here. It's just, you know, next week we teach Ecclesiastes chapter 6. You know, the week after that, chapter 7. You know, James 3, James 4. That's the way we roll around here. So I don't pick what we talk on. But we taught Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this week, which begins, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. 
And now today, James chapter 3, it's all about the tongue. It's all about what we say. Do you think God might be trying to get our attention, church? I feel that strongly. I believe so. It's time for us to listen to what God is saying. And then as we learned last week, faith with works, it's time to listen and put it into action. What God would have for us today. James probably knows what he's talking about when he's talking about the tongue. He knows the power of our words. You got to remember, he called his brother, Jesus, crazy at one point. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, when his own people, his family, heard about this, that Jesus was beginning this ministry, they went out to lay a hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus, you crazy boy. Get back here. And now look at James. Now look at him. He's now serving the king of kings, so much so that in the epistle, he doesn't even mention that he's the half-brother of Jesus. And I think, and I wonder, as he writes this chapter, if he's considering the things he has said in his life, including calling the King of kings and Lord of lords, crazy. We need to make sure that we all learn the value of our words. And I want to make a caveat because of the day and age that we live in. All that we learn today not only applies to what comes from our mouths, but also what comes from our thumbs. Tracking? We have a digital voice in this day and age, and we have a platform that 100 years ago none of us would have had. We're all just common people, and we wouldn't have the voice 100 years ago that we all have today. And so not only do we need to consider what comes from our mouth, but that which comes from our thumbs. And maybe even more so, because I think the filter is engaged a little better when it comes from the brain to the mouth than when it comes from the brain to the thumbs. We're quick to spout off online. We don't care about the repercussions as much as what we say. We need to consider both. He says in verse 1, going back to the top, My brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Again, he's saying, my brethren. He's addressing Christians. And if you're not a Christian in this place, that's cool. We welcome you here. We want you to try to figure it out. And if you have questions about what faith is all about, see me, see any one of us. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. You know, if you have questions, come and see us. You are welcome in this place if you're not a Christian today. This is probably the best place you could have come. Try to figure all things out. But the book of James is addressing those that have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, he's including you as he writes, my brethren, not many of you become teachers. You know, the the position of a teacher or a pastor can appear to be an enviable one. Maybe for some people, I wish I was up there. I wish I had, especially in this day and age, 
I, I, I look at the room. I've got the attention of most of you. I've got the attention of 100 people, 80 people, however many are in this room. You know, that, that, that can be a, a power trip for some people. And I w- you may be sitting there wishing, I wish I could be like that. In this day of rock star pastors, where their, their audiences are 10,000 and 20,000 and 80,000 people on a Sunday. It can look as though we, we stand in a position that's to be envied. James warns, don't strive for this position. Understand, the position of pastor-teacher is a calling given by God. It's not a, not a, a resume-type thing. It's not that you've, you've, you've checkmarked these things in your life, and therefore you're able to become a pastor-teacher. It is a specific calling that God places on individuals. You guys know my story. You know that I'm relatively new to the pastorate um, leading worship. I had a platform there as well for many, many years, but... One of the advice uh, that somebody had given me prior to taking the pastorate, I'll, I'll give to you today as well, if, you, if this is something you are considering. Somebody said to me, and I wish I could remember who it is, but somebody said to me, if you can do anything else, do it. If you, if you can do anything else, do it. And I, I took that with all seriousness because... I've come to a place in my life where I can't, I can't, I have, this is my calling. I have to do this. And I did garage doors for 18 years, and I hung up my tool belt almost two years ago now, and I still get calls every day. Can you come fix my garage door? No, I've got a new calling in my life. If you can do anything else, if you're considering teaching, if you can do anything else, do it. But if God places that fire in your heart, then pursue this with all of your heart. Understand, you will come under a stricter judgment. We who teach do have a stricter judgment awaiting us because we speak into people's lives. Consider the words, and these words haunt me as I come up to teach each Sunday of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That is not a pleasant way to die. And he says it'd be better than causing one of my little ones to stumble, those who follow me to stumble. In teaching, we have a greater opportunity to lead people astray. Therefore, we have a greater responsibility before God. All of us, whether we're teachers or not, we're going to be judged on what we've done with what God has given us. We're, we're, as, as we follow Christ, we, we will stand before him one day and he will make an account of all that he has given us and said, what did you do with what I gave you, including our time? Okay? So consider this as I teach today. If I lead people astray from the pulpit, I've not wasted one hour of time. I've wasted a hundred hours of time, of God's time. 
because I've led everybody astray. That's why teachers fall under a stricter judgment. Because I'm not just wasting my time. I'm wasting all of yours as well. And then one thing I think we could take, whether we're called to be a teacher or not, from verse 1, for all of us, we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be discerning. In this digital world where we can download podcast after podcast, we need to consider the words of Jesus who would say, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Consider what you're putting in your mind. Garbage in, garbage out. We need to consider who's speaking into our lives on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Periscope and Snapchat and wherever else, podcasting, live streaming. What are we dumping in? Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. Amen. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Thank you. James, for saying that we all stumble in many ways. Because I don't know about you, but I know that day by day, man, I come to the end of my day and I'm just like, Lord, how do you put up with me? I I blew it again. And in this area that I've struggled with all my life, or I didn't mean to say that to this person. Here I am chewing on filet of soul again. S-O-L-E. Grace, church. That's the word that James would say in verse 2. Grace. We all stumble in many ways. We all fall short. But what we want to measure as we measure the Christian life is not perfection, it's progress. It's that as we chart the course of our lives, as we follow Him, that over time we see a general maturity in our lives. How many of us want to stay in first grade for 12 years? right? We want to mature. We want to grow up. We want to grow deeper in the things of God. Thank you for saying we all stumble in many ways. But a sign of maturity, a sign of our growth in Christ is one who does not stumble in word. And understand where James says there he is a perfect man. That word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It means mature. It means you've come to the mature place so that you are able to control your tongue. And and if you're able to control your tongue, then most often you're able to bridle your whole body as well or control your whole body. Why bother? We live in a day and age where everybody gets gets the platform to speak their opinion. Why is it so important for us as followers of Christ to control our tongues? What difference does it make? How about 2 Corinthians 5.20? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As we follow Christ, as we've placed our faith in Him, He's placed upon us the great commission that we would go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We become ambassadors for Him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. What is an ambassador? It's one who lives in a country who's not his own and speaks on behalf of the king. 
This world is not our home. And I think what we saw this week would testify to that even more. This world is not our home. But we are ambassadors for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this place today. So that's why our words need to be weighed. That's why we need to consider the power of the tongue. He says in verse 3, Indeed, we put bits into horses' mouths, mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. There is so much, this is of so much import because there is so much power in our tongue. Understand, and I think you kind of get the idea, it's not the muscle that, God, that James is talking about here. It's not that, that, that thing between your teeth that he's actually speaking of here. It's the power of the tongue as in the power of our words, the power of our speech, the things that we say that he's referring to. He likens it to a small bit. I, I meant, and I forgot to ask you all week, I wanted to get a bit. Michelle's a horse rider, and I wanted to bring in a bit just to show you there. It's about four inches across. It's just a little piece of metal that you stick into the mouth of a 900-pound animal and can control it. Think about that. That's amazing. You can tell a 900-pound or more beast which direction to go by a little, tiny, four-inch piece of brass. Likens it to a ship as well. Consider the mass of a ship and how it's controlled by just a small little fin on the bottom of the boat. Whatever way the pilot wants to go, turn the rudder, turn the ship. Turn the bit, turn the horse. Our tongue, our small little tongue can determine the direction of our lives. Both examples he gives there speaks to the power of speech. And this may sound extreme, and this may sound over the top as I say it, but consider it for a minute. The power of our words is a matter of life and death. What? Just by what we say? Yeah, by what we say. It is a matter of life and death. Solomon, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You know what? Literally hundreds of young people every year take their lives because of what their peers have told them. Because of these tearing down words of those around them. It is a matter of life and death, what we say. You all heard it growing up, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. Words do hurt. Words do have weight. I've struggled my whole life with my weight. Since 1979, 
third grade. I think that was the first time I got called fat. It wasn't the last time. It happened often. As I kind of bare my soul here. <clears throat> so now every time somebody says, Chris, you're a big guy, what I hear is, Chris, you're a fat guy. Something that somebody said to me more than 30 years ago still has an impact on me today in the way that I hear words today. There is weight in our words. Not only does the words of what somebody said years and years and years ago still impact me today, but it impacts the way I react to my kids when they ask for seconds at a meal. Do you really need that? You know, I just, I'm not sure. Didn't you have enough with the first? And I come down hard on my kids because somebody called me fat in third grade. And I take it out on them. I'm not, the, the, the heart is that I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. But I still, my, the, my life is impacted today because of what people have said and I, I know my story's not alone. Junior high is hell. <laughs> it's like we, we suddenly find a voice, and there is no filter. We just vomit on everybody. Verse uh, 12, 18 of Proverbs. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. There's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Words can kill. We need to grab a hold of this church. It is so important that we weigh our words. James is going to speak of the danger of poor speech. He compares it to the forest fire there in verse 5. He says, even so the tongue, a little member, and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire, kindles. Right? Only you can prevent forest fires. They wanted to make sure that your little fire in the, you know, the Smokey the Bear wanted to make sure that your fire was contained so that you didn't set acres and hundreds of acres ablaze. You didn't throw your cigarette butt out into the pine needles. You know, just a small fire can set such a huge fire forest ablaze. So true with our words. More damage in this world has been done by the power of words than every bullet ever fired, than every weapon of mass destruction ever detonated, than every war waged. The power of words. Hitler came to power by his rhetoric, by the things that he said 6,000 Jews, 6 million Jews were exterminated just by the things that he said. We went to war over 2,977 people dying on September 11th, 2001. Rightfully so. We went to war over 2,977 people dying. But do we recognize that America has a 9-11 every day? 3,000 babies killed in what should be the safest place on earth, a mother's womb, every 
day. And we don't place a lot of thought or we don't go to war over that because of the way it's spun, because of the words around the abortion issue, because of the way people say, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. It's not a child, it's a choice. And the way the pro-abortionist spins things softens the blow and we don't get as up in arms over it as, as, to, as men driving planes into a building. It's the power of words. It can cause us to rise up and it can cause us to do nothing. Because of the language around the issue, we do little to nothing. See how great a forest fire. He says in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Okay, James, tell us how you really feel. (laughs) He's a little upset. He's getting a little Southern Baptist here, a little fire and brimstone. The tongue has set itself on on fire by hell. We need to be so careful in what we say. We need to recognize, as he says there, no man can tame the tongue. We, in and of ourselves, have no hope of taming our tongue. Can we buy into that today? We we cannot do it. Don't. Don't think, don't walk out of here, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to start saying the right things. You can't do it. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. No man can tame the tongue, but, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can tame my tongue through Christ who gives me strength. By walking in the Spirit, we have self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Spirit, evidence of the Spirit in our lives is that we have the capability to control our tongues. It doesn't mean we always take advantage of the Spirit in our lives. It doesn't mean we always tap into the strength that He's ready to offer us. But it is available By walking in the Spirit, you and I, today, we can have victory in this matter. As I said earlier, the Christian life, we should see progress. We're all going to fall at times. We're all going to trip up. We're all going to say stupid things. But we should see progress. Now watch what he says in verse 9. Don't speak with with a forked tongue. Don't speak out of both sides of your mouth. Verse 9, 
With it, we bless our God and Father. With it, the tongue. We bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Similitude likeness. We talked about that in Genesis chapter 1. We brought that out just a few weeks ago. Out of the same mouth, he says in 10, proceed blessing and cursing. Underline this, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. We need to weigh our words before they come out of our mouth, before they come through our thumbs. I know what some of you are saying, because I probably would come up with this as well. Pastor, I, I can't control it. I just can't control what I say. Oh, yes, you can. When it comes to pride, you've been there, right? You're at the home arguing with the wife. And the phone rings. Hello. Oh, we're doing great. Somebody driving to church today. I told you not to wear that. And you walk in the door. How you doing, brother? Just fine. When it comes to pride, you can control your tongue. <laughs> Joe Foch, the pastor over in Philly. <laughs> I love the way he says things sometimes. He says, your tongue comes in its own cage. Use it. <laughs> God was thinking. Put your tongue in a cage. Use it. Ephesians 4.29. Probably some of you knew I was going to go here today. This is such an important word from Paul. Let no, how many? None, no. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What is good for necessary edification? We're to build up with our words, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Our words should be seasoned with grace. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. As a follower of Christ, our words are to be edifying and building up, seasoned with grace. We should be avoiding both gossip and flattery. Really? Well, definitely gossip. We all get that. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Nothing moves faster. We don't have to put it on Facebook. If we want the rumor to spread. Just tell one person. Don't tell anybody. That means you can only tell three people. We should not gossip. Somebody entrusts a, a, a secret to us. We should value that person enough to hold their secret. I'm not gossiping, but I think this person, yeah, you're still gossiping. And flattery. Flattery is building somebody up when you don't actually mean it. How about this? Gossip is something you say behind somebody's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is something you say to somebody's face that you would never say behind their back. Tracking? Gossip is something you say 
behind somebody's back that you'd never say to their face. Flattery is something you say to their face that you'd never say behind their back. If you're not willing to build somebody up to somebody else, but you'd say it to their face, that's flattery. We need to avoid that just as much as we avoid gossip. Why is it so hard for you and I in this day and age to bless and edify and to build up somebody else? Why do we struggle with this so much? Because it's really not a tongue issue. It's a heart issue. It's really not a tongue issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is just our amplifier. This is just our speaker. It's just telling the world what's already in our heart. So if you're coming with angry words, guess what? You got an angry heart. If you're coming with jealous words, guess what? You got a jealous heart. Deal with it on the heart level. You're coming with boastful words, building yourself up. You got a proud heart. Deal with it on a heart issue. And I think the reason we struggle with this so much is because we lose where we get our identity from. You and I, we spit vitriol so often because we have our identity in things that can be taken from us. Oh, that guy, he's the best dad in the world. Oh, he's awesome. He does this right and he does that right. And and we hear that and yeah, I am the best dad. And then suddenly a new neighbor moves in and, and he's got everything and he treats his kids right and he's a better dad than you are. And because I found my identity in being the best dad, now that we found somebody better, I'm going to spit vitriol because I found my identity in things that can be taken from me. Oh, she's the best salesperson we've ever had here at this company. We, uh, she, we, the company lives and, and, and dies by what she does week in and week out. She's amazing. And then they hire the new young person who understands the new market and is able to outsell. And because she found her value in being this best salesperson, suddenly now that somebody is better than her, she's spitting vitriol. Producing anger. We have our identity in the things that can be taken from us rather than having our identity in that which cannot be taken from us. And that is that you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. If we find our identity in being called a child of God, which will never be taken from us for all of eternity... That frees us, that gives us the liberty then when somebody else is blessed of God to rejoice in that, to bless them and to edify them and to celebrate with them. Oh, you're better at this than me? Praise God. I don't have to do it now. (laughs) We can celebrate victories of other families. We find our identity in Christ. Does a spring, he says in verse 11, send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water 
and fresh. 2 Corinthians 5.17, to help us with our identity. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new thing. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You may have been an olive tree at one point, bearing olives in your life. But in Christ, you are a new creation. He's made you the fig tree. And you are to no longer be producing olives. That would be an oddity in nature. You used to be the salt spring, flowing with all the salty language of this world. I was that guy. I used to, uh, my mouth was awful. I'm a new creature in Christ. And through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to set those things aside. Old, old things are passed away. Thank God I don't talk like that anymore. Because I'm an ambassador of His, and I don't want to represent Him well. We are children of God. We are new creations. We've been set free. We can rejoice in others. We can build others up. We can speak grace. We can in Him. We can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. Here's the takeaway I want us to take away today, and I'll end here. As we learned last week, the balance of faith and works and the importance of both. In the same way that our faith is demonstrated by our works, our heart is demonstrated by our words. Right? In the same way that we demonstrate our faith by the things that we do, we demonstrate our hearts by the things that we say. So I take it back to verse 19, chapter 1, to close. My brothers, be quick to listen and slow to speak. doesn't mean we don't speak. doesn't mean there isn't a time to speak. But it means that everything that comes from our lives, our mouths, should be weighed before it leaves our body. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. I did not intentionally address what happened in the Supreme Court this week because I want to practice what I preach and I want to be slow to speak. This is an important issue that we need to weigh our words carefully and not take to Facebook or Twitter right away to spout off. I will speak on it. just not sure when. I do believe that God would have a word for us in that, but I'm waiting to hear from Him. Pray that we would all weigh our words before we let them come out of our mouth. God, thank You. Thank you for this word, and I don't believe that it happened on this day just by chance. Lord, you've, you've ordained this lesson over and over and over again in Calvary Chapel Columbus's heart and life and in, 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 in our, our corporate gatherings, Lord, that as Solomon said, we are to let our words be few because we stand in the presence of an almighty God who is sovereign over all things and in control of all. Lord, we've been hurt by words. And if that's us today and we're feeling that pain because of what somebody has said to us, I pray that we would walk in the forgiveness that you are ready to give because you have forgiven us. 
And Lord, all of us have said things that we shouldn't have said. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy because we stumble in many ways. But your grace is no less effective and powerful today than it was 2,000 years ago on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And as we sing, I love you, Lord, to leave this place, I pray that with our lives, with our words, we would show it. In Jesus' name, amen.